Make a move it, then she'll call him. Forest fires, Google's ballin'. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. Before we start, I'd just like to say there are a load of spoilers for Ladybug, Ladybug, Fly Away Home in this episode. So if you're one of the three people that are listening to that actual play, um, you may want to skip this episode. So day five of the um, daily podcast release schedule. I, well, I think I've probably got four more to go and then I'll leave you guys alone for a bit. And uh, I think today's going to be a bit shorter than the others. Let's see. Don't think I've got that much to say. But the next game that I played during the days of Corona, that was another Call of Cthulhu game. Another Call of Cthulhu modern game. Another one from the Stygian Fox collection. And this one is called Ladybug, Ladybug, Fly Away Home. And I don't think it's as good as Forget-Me-Not, but I think it's still very good. I um, cannot remember the name of the author, um, but it's, it's really cool in many ways because in the same way that Forget-Me-Not um, puts you into an unusual role, um, the, 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 I don't think I, I don't know if I described it fully, but the, the, all the players, all the characters are working for a TV show called The Supernatural Files in Forget Me Not. So they all take different roles, different jobs within that production crew. So one of them's the presenter, one of them's the co-host, um, one of them's the um, uh, the main host, one of them is the cameraman, one of them's the sound recorder, and so on. Now, in in um, Ladybug, Ladybug, you can play different roles, but it really um, is strongly uh, suggesting that, that the players take on the role of um, FBI investigators. The whole story, the whole plot starts when a five-year-old girl is kidnapped from a big box store in... Um, I can't remember what city. <laughs> I think it's Ohio again. Is it Ohio or is it Pennsylvania? Uh, they do end up going going somewhere near Pittsburgh, but uh, Cleveland, that's it. In Cleveland, Ohio. So again, I, I had a chance to do some terrible Ohio accents. But, um, but yeah, it starts with this girl getting kidnapped. Turns out she's been kidnapped by an ATF agent, an ex, a retired ATF agent. So it's who, who then proceeds to go back into the store after dumping the kid in the, the getaway car of his accomplice, goes back into the store, fires off a few rounds, waits for the um, armed response unit to turn up, and then blows his brains out. So it's a good start. <laughs> and it starts with the, uh, the characters being called in to investigate. They're, they're, they're leading the investigation. And then things proceed from there. And um, I won't give away what happens. Uh, it's all there on the actual play. But it turns out to be a classic, well, it, it, it's a classic police procedural 
FBI procedural that turns into uh, mythos horror. So it's a, it's a pretty classic setup. And my players, I think they 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 really dived into those roles. One of them played the grizzled FBI, uh, sorry, the grizzled ATF investigator with a miserable home life, um, who was uh, who was called in because he he knew the uh, you know or rather he he saw on the news report the the, the security camera footage and realised he knew the um, knew the guy knew the kidnapper. Um, uh, the, the other one, another one is the alcoholic FBI uh, investigator. And the final one is, is the hostage negotiator four days away from retirement, of course. He's just too old for this shit. So, you know, they, they dived into those roles and there was a lot of fantastic character interplay, uh, uh, character interaction between them and, um, you know, a lot of time in squad, in the, in the FBI uh, squad car, the, the, you know, the black... Lincoln or whatever it was, um, you know, just just giving each other lip, getting getting um, getting their uh, get, getting shouted at by by their boss for how bad the investigation was going and all kinds of great tropes like that, um, and and then of course all the horror starts and things go go crazy. But what I found particularly fascinating about this is it it really gave me an insight into into setting mastery <laughs> if that, that uh, I think I've just inv- invented that as a concept um, so the reason that I think the players fell so easily into those roles and the reason that we could extemporize and riff so much during that adventure during that scenario was that we knew everything already like of course we didn't they didn't know what the actual mystery was and what was really going on, but everything else they knew because we've all watched a million of these TV shows and movies. And it's the real world, more or less, (laughs) with a little bit of added Cthulhu horror. Um, So in that real world setting, you don't need to explain everything. You don't need to agree what your definitions are and your terms and your understanding because you, you can all you can shorthand it all with with tropes with um kind of cliches i suppose um and and what's what's really nice is that everyone can can immediately click into that and i think it's given me some interesting ideas about about why it's hard to do that in fantasy especially in like a homebrewed fantasy and especially in relation to the campaign that I designed because none of my players knew what the setting really was. Now, of course, I'm being a little bit extreme because we're playing D&D, so everyone knows what an elf and a dwarf is and um, and there are some common understandings of what the setting and what the meta setting is because it's, it's kind of high fantasy D&D. But everything else has to be defined and explained. Um, you know what what kind of village is it you know is it a pseudo medieval kind of grim muddy kind of turnip infested village um or is it is it something more like uh, i don't know rivendell from from lord of the rings um is it this uh beautific bucolic 
you know, perched on top of a bridge by a waterfall type place. You know, all of these things, none of them are understood. When we say Cleveland, Ohio, like even if you haven't been to Cleveland, Ohio, you have a picture immediately in your head of what a strip mall in Cleveland, Ohio is like. Particularly if you live in the States. <laughs> you know, I'm not American and I know exactly what a strip mall in, um, in Cleveland, Ohio would look like. So by having a modern setting, you can you can kind of world build in this very rapid way. And, and I think that, that that creates a sense of immersion that is, um, is really, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to get there as quickly when you're inventing your own setting or when you're playing in someone else's invented setting. Um, you know, Tales from the Loop, which I talked about the other day, it benefits from that, but it also, there's a lot of terms that need to be understood and a lot of um, objects, places, and things that, that are invented. So you still have a bit of work to do there. But in this particular setting, especially with the tropes of being in an FBI investigation, we were all on the same page right from the beginning. And, and I think then it made the role-playing so much easier and more fluid. And um, if you go and listen back to some of the actual plays, and I, I personally enjoyed them. I, I think they're pretty funny and um, dramatic and silly and and. and Towards the end, they, they get a little bit horrible, of course, because it's called a Cthulhu. Um, I haven't really got that many of them out yet. But I think you'll hear that that we're all there right from the off. Um, there's no there's no kind of build-up. We're straight into it. And, and I think that is something um, actually well worth thinking about in, in, in your own games, is how you can get people into that straight away. You know, giving someone a 30-page world background to the world you created does not do that no one ever reads that for a start and if they do it just well look in the best of all intentions in the best of all worlds it's going to be subpar hokey fanfic <laughs> god i know because i've written that stuff myself um it's rare to find world backgrounds that are compelling i think um you know it takes it takes true literary talent to be able to craft that. And one that you can then also feel immersed in and not just a spectator in. I, I, I think that is the, the challenge. Okay, look, I, I know I haven't invented the concept of setting mastery, um, but because a lot of people talk about mastering your setting or at least um, knowing your setting well enough to run it convincingly. But I think that the word setting mastery together aren't used very commonly. So I'll, at least I'll, I'll try and claim that, if nothing. But but it does actually, um, I think it's, it's something that isn't talked about as much. And it is as critical to the flow of a game as system mastery in the way that looking up rules to um, can, you know, during the game can interrupt the flow. I think not knowing the answer to something that a player might ask also introduces a, a fracture or a disjunction even if it's very momentary the fact that the player asks you you know okay so what's the store next door and you don't have the answer um it, it just it, it just it just starts to break down the walls of the of the set that you've built and of course when you're in a modern day setting it's easy you just pull something out yeah out your memory or out your head you don't you don't need to have defined it it's, it's already there somewhere and and the other thing and the critical thing i felt for me as a gm a gm that loves to role play that loves to inhabit other characters um my car just beeped i wonder why it just beeped i probably won't probably won't hear it on the thing but anyway um 
the the other thing that that is difficult when you're when you're playing in a fantasy or a made up setting is you don't have this you know you don't have at your fingertips this endless array of people of really distinct characterized fleshed out people if they want to talk to a random person which they always do of course always always want to talk to random people that's that's part of being a player is to piss your GM off by wanting to talk to the fishmonger. Why do you want to talk to the fishmonger? The uh, the guy with the asterisk, glowing asterisk over his head is sitting there with a with a cloak with, on and a cowl over his head um, drinking a, a beer in the corner of the tavern. Go and talk to him. <laughs> no. I want to talk to the fishmonger. I want to get involved in the mackerel trade. But in the fantasy setting, you don't have this um, endless supply of people just to draw on. And as a GM, I find it quite hard to create distinctive and varied NPCs just off the, on the fly. Um, whereas in a modern setting, you've got like an endless supply, a, a, a limitless supply of people that you can just pull in from just about every media, from every TV show you watched, from your life, from from the newspapers, you know, wherever you want to get inspiration from, you've got a person there ready to, to flesh out and inhabit. And I found that really um, helpful for my, for my running of the game. And, you know, when I was talking a bit earlier about the FBI investigators, the, the case, the, the, the police procedural, um, I talked about it just descending really, you know, being, being full of cliches and tropes. And I think there's something quite interesting about our medium, our gaming medium, is that unlike literature and film and whatever else, TV, cliches are your friends, actually, in gaming. Because... It, it doesn't grate. I don't find it grates at all, having a, a, a real cliche, as long as it's not a gaming cliche, okay? So taking a cliche from another medium, be that a TV show or a film, I think that works perfectly well. I think when you take gaming cliches, um, you know, and even those you can overcome, but the whole meet in the tavern and the, um, you know, the wicked necromancer and all of that, those I think because... Uh, are tired because we've played them too much. But taking cliches from other media actually helps you because it helps everyone understand the, the terms of reference and, and the stakes that are being put in front of them. They, they kind of know the moves and you know they know that the kidnapping is going to involve tracing the car, um, going to the car rental place where the car was picked up, um, getting the security camera footage from, from the car park, going to the uh, toll booths along the interstate to, to, to check out the security footage there, interviewing people, going to the motel, finding out who's checked in, um, going to the door, getting the hostage negotiator to have this long, painful, drawn-out conversation with the, with the 25-year-old woman who's, who's uh, the niece of the, the, the kidnapper in the big box store, um, uh, having a big gun you know, uh, shootout, and then the hunting horror breaks in through the ceiling and drags her off screaming into the night sky. All those cliches from, <laughs> from police procedurals. But um, hunting horrors aside, um, those cliches really help you. And then, and then what you create in, in and around those cliches, that's where the originality happens. And that is why I think having a modern setting where everyone knows pretty much everything about that setting, 
it relies on a lot of you know out of character knowledge and that's fine because those characters have that knowledge and that opens up a whole other strand of of the, the problem in fantasy settings where your characters would know this stuff but your players don't and and that's a dissonance that is really hard to get over but in a real world setting you know unless your players really don't know a lot about anything <laughs> and believe me there are players out there like that but if they have even a decent amount of knowledge about the contemporary world, they're going to know the setting, and they're going to they're going to and they're going to know um, what to do in that setting. Uh, and I think that's great. Well, look, that's the end. I said it's going to be a short one. It is a little bit shorter, but it's still quite rambly. Um, see you tomorrow, I think, for uh, part six. It's a game we're role playing. I'm a stranger, and you're making mistakes. Yeah.